Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So tonight are the concentration factors. I, I think you see some of the instructions in just the meditation. You see some of the purpose of why we meditate. In, I think in one of John's previous talks he asked the simple question why do we meditate? And the simple answer is to heighten our level of concentration. It's as simple as that. We'll start with the Buddha's words from the Samadhi Sutta. There are four developments of concentration. There is the development of concentration that leads to pleasant abiding in the here and now. There is the development of concentration that leads to the attainment of knowledge and vision. There is the development of concentration that leads to the mindfulness and alertness. There is the development of concentration that leads to unbinding and the cessation of suffering. Whichever remain focused to the rising and passing away of the five clinging aggregates. So concentration replaces distraction. Distraction is another way to express what stress is because of distracted from the present moment means we are mired in, in the past and the speculation of the future. These are John's words. The Eightfold Path is a framework to develop heightened wisdom, virtue, and concentration. The Eightfold Path is not linear. Each of the factors support the other factors. The concentration factors are no exception. I think more than the other factors, you can see how they support each other. The concentration factors that right effort supports your concentration, it supports your mindfulness, and they work together. It's and more than ever I really looked at this as the integrated practice, the Eightfold Path, and how they support each other. And, you know, John always says this isn't a <coughs> four-path, it's a, not a nine-path, it's an Eightfold Path. <coughs> so it's important to keep that in mind when you make this commitment that it's easy to get distracted to your meditation when you don't know exactly why you're meditating. And again, everything always points back to the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, and that's really the structure. We'll start with the right effort. And again, this was a long chapter, a lot to uh, you know take in, so I'll read some passages from John and the Buddha, and. We'll go from there.
right effort. Even though it is the wisdom factors of right view and right attention that expose our ignorance and cuts through our delusion, the wisdom factors are supported by the three factors of right effort, right mindfulness, and jhana meditation. The mental factors of energy, which is a factor of, of awakening, supports right effort. The energy or effort is directed at abandoning our needs to desire the pleasant and the aversion to the unpleasant. This is right effort. This right effort is required for awakening. Then what is right effort? These are the Buddha's words. To abandon wrong view, wrong intention, wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, wrong effort, wrong mindfulness, and wrong meditation. And to develop right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. So, simple. It's simply understanding what the right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation is. And we learned last week the, what the virtuous factors. And again, everything revolves around the Four Noble Truths. Always roll back to that. Uh, you know, you could have every good intention to watch your speech, but if it's not framed by the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, it may be better than terrible speech, but it's not going to really be a reflection of... I see it like it's your it's your karma, you know, the virtuous factors, and they're supported by the uh, concentration factors. Right effort is generated in a skillful energy and desires, actions, and diligence to avoid inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. So we can recognize the nature of defilements and how they can easily slide into our thoughts if not necessarily our words and deeds. We now understand what causes the arising, so we can now use wise restraint. Abandon inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have arisen. Develop appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have, not, have, have yet to have arisen. And finally, maintain appropriate thoughts, words, deeds for continual development of non-confusion skillful qualities that have arisen. So right effort is about avoiding and abandoning non-virtuous and developing and maintaining right speech, right action, and right livelihood. These factors establish the foundation of skillful, wholesome behavior. This can only be accomplished by developing right meditation which supports the refined right mindfulness that gives us insights to the three marks of existence. These are John's words. Right effort will develop the qualities needed from liberation from stress and unhappiness. Engaging in Dhamma practice should not lead to harsh judgment on past behaviors. And I think that's a common theme that we hear over and over again, that be gentle with yourself. Don't judge your effort. Uh, 
you know, it's it's not an easy path you're choosing. So, uh, you know, you have to take care of yourself. You have to be gentle. These are the Buddha's words. Right effort is to abandon wrong view, right, wrong intention, wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, wrong mindfulness, and wrong meditation. And develop right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right mindfulness, and right meditation. This is right effort. Right, off, right effort also means creating structure in your Dhamma practice. And really what that means is just have a quiet, secluded room, or a sprinter van, possibly, or a place in front of a gas stove or electric stove uh, oven, like Brian. Uh, and again, it's, it's about making that commitment to have a quiet place that you can quiet your mind and your body and create that structure. And we often talk about you know, 20 minutes twice a day, and that just creates that muscle memory of sitting down and deciding to do jhana for the purpose of deepening your concentration so you can enter into a place where right mindfulness is not a forced but a, a natural, gentle. Uh, process. Abandon what is unskillful, craving and clinging, and develop what is skillful, the Eightfold Path. If it were not possible to abandon what is unskillful and develop what is skillful, I would not teach this. If it were harmful to abandon what is unskillful and develop what is skillful, I would not teach this. Apply your efforts to what is skillful. These are the Buddha's words on right effort. We'll move on to right mindfulness. And I'll start with John's words. The focus of your thoughts will determine experience. Thoughts preoccupied with clinging and craving and aversion will lead to more confusion and stress. Thoughts while concentrating on mindfulness of the Dhamma will bring lasting peace and happiness. And these are my words. Some might say the truth of happiness. Mindfulness in the context of the Four Noble Truths is to abandon the distraction of stress arising from craving, clinging, and remain focused on the entire Eightfold Path. Mindfulness of the entire Eightfold Path develops understanding that will end confusion and suffering born of ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. Mindfulness is to recollect or hold in mind. Be mindful to abandon wrong view and enter into right view. Being mindful to abandon wrong intention and enter into right intention. Being mindful to abandon wrong speech and enter into remain in right speech. Be mindful to abandon wrong action and enter and remain in right action. Be mindful to abandon wrong livelihood and enter into and remain in right livelihood. Be mindful to abandon wrong effort and enter and remain in right effort. Be mindful to abandon wrong mindfulness and enter and remain in right mindfulness. 
be mindful to abandon wrong meditation and enter and remain in right meditation. So you can see some people might get caught up into the right or wrong and it simply means I used to try to come up with a better word for wrong or inappropriate or uh, not skillful and really I just decided to focus in on the, the right right means just simply it's framed by the Eightfold Path we don't have to dwell on what is wrong view or what is wrong speech and so forth really what you're doing is you've decided to practice what the Buddha has presented to us and I often think of the teaching we had a few weeks ago on the Simsath tree that there's much to learn but not all of it will bring cessation of suffering and the Buddha said just learn what I have in my hands these are my teachings and that's right that's the right view that's the right speech that's the right livelihood and so on so don't focus in on what's wrong view just know that if it's not structured within the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths it will not bring the cessation of suffering this is John's words and again we the first couple classes really concentrated on the concentration factors started with the jhana meditation and then Matt followed up with the four foundations and now here we are again in this section going over them and these are John's words on the four foundations of mindfulness the four foundations of mindfulness is taught to bring immediate mindfulness of what is occurring during jhana meditation without distraction Mindfulness is the quality of mind that supports developing lasting peace and happiness. Practicing mindfulness within the framework of the Four Noble Truths is straightforward, accessible, and easily understood and practiced. The four foundations of mindfulness that, that were taught by Matt in week two are being mindful of the breath in the body. We begin to quiet our minds by being mindful of our breath, quieting our minds, and becoming less distracted by our thoughts second foundation being mindful of feelings arising from the sixth sense base which is of course where we have to experience everything at the point of contact being mindful of thoughts arising from the sixth sense base and being mindful of the present quality of a mind and you see these again in our <coughs> instructions this section again with some more of John's words this is the direct path for the purification of this is these are the Buddha's words I'm sorry this is the direct path for the purification of beings for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentations for the attainment of the right method and the realization of unbinding in other words the four frames of references thus was it said and in reference to what it was said We'll move on to the right meditation, which of course is the jhana meditation that we practice. 
it is important to remember that the purpose of the Eightfold Path is to understand unhappiness and the stress and the abandoning of clinging, craving, desire, and aversion. To that end, the Buddha taught a very simple and very profound and effective meditation practice, jhana meditation. The mind must be quiet to be able to rest in equanimity. Awareness into the confusing and permanent and delusional nature of your conditioned mind is the insight gained. Always preceded by a tranquil mind, you are able to be mindful of your conditioned thinking and put your conditioned thinking aside. Nothing else needs to be done or should be done with these fragments of conditioned thinking and insights. The Buddha's words. Friends, develop concentration. A concentrated mind discerns in line with what has come into being and what and what does he can discern in line with what has come into being? The origination and disappearance of feeling, the origination and disappearance of perception, the origination and disappearance of perception, the origination and disappearance of fabrication, the origination and disappearance of consciousness. In short, the origination and disappearance of the five clinging aggregates, the ego personality and stress. A well-concentrated mind is dispassionate, mindfulness seeks nothing, and remains free of distraction, driven by the need of an ego personality. This is the end of craving and clinging. This is an awakened mind. With this quiet and tranquil mind, we can now observe, in a gentle, non-judging way, the arising and passing way of feeling, thought and the present quality of our minds. This is when we experience the insights of Anicca, Anatta and Dukkha. The pleasant can be observed with dispassion, that we are mindful of the pleasant and not driven by greed, or experience the unpleasant and simply, simply be mindful of the unpleasant and not driven by aversion. These are the mo moments we actually experience the extraordinary, ordinary, and permanent, unconditioned mind. This is right view. And I think that's all for talking tonight. And I think we'll go around the room. And we'll start with Teacher Jennifer. Hi. Hello. Thank you, David. Um, yeah, this was a big chapter, Very big. and um, so I did great, you succinctly explained something that's kind of vast, um, but, you know, it all just circles around the Eightfold Path, um, and I was just like going back and forth and reading, you know, the, the repetitive, just the repetitive nature of everything and how you have the same phrase, phrasing being used by the Buddha to explain right effort as right mindfulness. Um, there's only like a couple words that are different. Um, and so it's just always pointing us back to holding in mind the Eightfold Path. So that's all I got for tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Nina. 
How are you this evening? I'm good. Thank you. Um, it was indeed a big chapter. Um, I feel like um, everything starts for me with right mindfulness, or that's at least where I feel like I am right now. Um, but then as you were reading the right meditation section, I came across this paragraph that said the need, this need for constant t- stimulation is the distraction of dukkha. The Buddha understood that the continual reestablishment of the ego personality and every thought maintains stress and unhappiness. And then it just made me think of like how these devices are constantly something I feel like I'm fighting against. And um, this is always a distraction. And it's so integrated into the culture we live in right now. So that is constantly something recently that keeps coming up. And these hindrances, they are... And it's not even like craving and clinging to it. It's like you have to use it. And you can see how these hindrances are subtle and pervasive and what you what you're describing is that you're aware that when they arise and that they pass away and i would imagine that you know we've had you here since the last uh retreat how different your your ability to to observe that has changed and that's our practice that you you are now aware when things arise and pass away and you don't judge those things as harshly as you used to is that accurate yeah i mean it's just so interesting how like as you study this text more and more how it just butts up against so many things that um, just are part of life and it really highlights um, a different path completely. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good evening, Brian. Hi, David. Thank you. Um, I had a question. The, uh, the intro paragraph to the chapter on the four developments is that parallel to the four uh jhana absorptions or is it a different the the bliss and rapture and then culminating with samadhi the the four stages of jhana was that the same as the four developments up up front let me find the There, there are four developments of concentration. There's the development of concentration that leads to pleasant abiding here and now. Is, is he? Is the Buddha talking about the, the first jhana? Yeah. But it's just just a, just a different description of the jhana. I gotcha. Okay, that's all I had this week. Thank you. All right. Quick. Scott, how are you? I'm well, I'm well, hope everybody's well. Um, 
I, I've been feeling this week uh, gratitude for this teaching. Uh, I've actually asked myself a few times, where has it been all my life? Uh, it's a it's a wonderfully uncluttered teaching compared to others, uh, but it is not simple, and I feel as though I'm still at the starting line. But as I go through these long lessons and know that it'll be a long time before I can really get my arms around them, the thing that stays with me is all the way from the first lesson, which is um, that this is impermanence and this is delusion and all of the clinging to that has been 64 years of wasted effort. So that's what's carrying me through and, and that's what I'm Grateful for. Well, I, I would just say two things that you show that kind of like that definition of right view is not just the end point, but it's the beginning that you show that bit of dust in your eye. It, but also be gentle with yourself and don't judge your past. And don't speculate into the future and just say present and that's that's our practice so thank you Jane my friend how are you I'm fine um, I have two things the first was when I was reading I came across this um, part that said that we uh, we're looking for transcending stress and unhappiness rather than reducing or managing stress and it, it, it got me to thinking, I mean, you can't manage stress. Whether it's a little stress or a lot of stress, you're either stressed or you're at peace. So our, our goal is to have peace. And uh, the other thing is when you were talking, something I know I'm not going to do justice to this, but you said when your mind is well concentrated for meditation, you don't have to force the, the mindfulness. Like it kind of gently lays in there. And that just—I like the way you phrased that. So thank you. Thank you, Jane. I don't know why I did this, but I just looked up why people meditate. What are the benefits of meditation? Just to see. And they use the term like managing stress, reducing stress, and you can see. I think I was doing it because. Uh, you know, the Buddha tried all the different meditation techniques and he finally landed on this simple meditation of jhana meditation. And again, you, I think other meditation practices are trying to manage where the Buddha is looking for you to understand suffering and the cessation of suffering. And that's a what we're all looking for and you know it's a it's a permanent answer in a impermanent world so thank you jane thank you david uh, boop, 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 boop. mary waldron allen how are you <laughs> thank you david joseph allen for being formal um thank you for these teaching um really concise very helpful it's 
really as simple as in every moment we can um without right view without greater awareness we can go one way and continue our suffering and maybe even be oblivious to the action we're taking to continue our suffering or we can take another direction which is more clear-minded and is cessation of suffering and it's up to each of us to be honest with ourselves with where we are and what we're doing in that moment and not using flowery words not bringing other concepts into it but holding ourselves accountable and empowering ourselves that it is up to us and it's within us um to achieve the equanimity that you're talking about so thank you for your words today david thank you very much hello john Good evening, David and everyone. Thank you, David. Excellent class. Um, you really um, taught the most important parts of this chapter. Uh, you, were you were talking about different meditation practices, and most of those are, are designed for uh, acquisition or correction, meaning trying to become something I'm not or to fix something that's broken or missing in me. Uh, where the Buddha taught and with the huge contradiction between what the Buddha taught and everything else that he studied then and what I studied in my life is that the Buddha taught how to be a human being. He taught radical acceptance rather than rather than the, the need for constant approval and disapproval as a means of, of motivation. I think it was Nina that talked about uh, the culture and our culture is designed uh, to condition our minds towards that type of ongoing distraction. It, it, it works. And this is the, the first noble truth that Dukkha occurs. You, you could say that the, the, the earth or our society has, has evolved, evolved to the point where its sole purpose is, is constant distraction. And, and also um, to constantly promote the need for salvation. And so we fall into these categories of I'm right, you're wrong. And even so, even people that might think that they're very compassionate and very mindful will think it's okay to hate when it's appropriate within their within their framework of association. And we, we see it, you know, uh, I think Joe Biden is the best, so I have to hate Donald Trump. I think Trump is the best, so I have to hate Joe Biden. And we're, we're, we're falling into that camp, I think, at an ever more rapid rate rather than understanding that as human beings we're going to have differences too and the radical acceptance is that no no there shouldn't be any differences in the world the buddha taught us that he taught us that we should accept the differences in the world and treat people fairly always because what is what is the ultimate result of concentration it's it's a calm and peaceful mind meaning that no matter what's occurring in the world i don't have to take sides i don't have to choose what's best for me because i understand what is best for me is this this profound sense of concentration and refined mindfulness that allows me to stay calm and peaceful no matter what's occurring rooted in this this simple little technique that develops concentration so that's all i have to say thank you well thank you for your teaching john <laughs> i think we're all set uh laura hi david thank you very much for um uh, beautifully presenting that chapter I was just thinking about what John was saying as well and 
um, what we were talking about last class when we were discussing the virtuous factors and then um, thinking about today's class and then the chapter on height and concentration. Um, last class we had talked about kind of that some things, this is a slight tangent so stop me if, if it's not appropriate, but we were talking about the dichotomous nature of some things um, that have to do with like right action and right speech like vegetarianism or um, chastity or um, other things, um, you know, activism. So, someone brought up social activism. Mm -hmm. and so I guess is the kind of question when, you know, when we're trying to achieve, not achieve, but have this sense of um, heightened concentration and a pure state of mind is, should we always just be asking ourselves, you know, are my actions, are my speech, um, or is my speech rather rooted in greed, aversion, deluded mm -hmm. thinking? Um, am I contributing to someone else's stress? Like you were saying, and like John was, was saying, it's a lot of these things, unfortunately, are just, you know, seen only one way or the other in this dichotomy, and that doesn't bring about, you know, um, everyone has a different perspective, but I don't know, I was just thinking about these things kind of during the week, and mm -hmm. just wanted to see what your thoughts were on. And again, the, I look at the concentration factors supporting our ability to keep our thoughts, words, and deeds and be very aware of them. Mm -hmm. And without that, there can't be wise restraint. There's some version of restraint or failed restraint or it, it, it's a hit or miss thing where the concentration factors support that. And that's why, again, it's an integrated eightfold path, and it, it truly does support each other. So I don't know if that answers your question, but right. I, I truly believe that it's a supporting of the virtuous factors. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Kevin? David, uh, thank you very much for that thorough teaching. Um, I think just to continue on what you're saying and, and the support of the wisdom factors, the wisdom factors are sort of, as we've talked about, this point of ultimate honesty that, that we come to with the Dhamma. It comes up against everything that we've been sort of conditioned with, as, as has been mentioned, and, and sort of the support or the bridge is, you know, the, the concentration factors in the sense that this is our accountability, you know, this is where we need to if we have questions, this is probably where it's going to come up. You know, mm -hmm. if, if it's probably going to be in a practice, quality of our practice, quality of our sits, what we're holding in mind during that, which is going to manifest out in the world and, and sort of, you know, how we're practicing. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's pretty unique in most of the life experience where you have something that delivers you this, this point of ultimate honesty you have a way to be accountable to yourself with your sangha, with your own practice. You can actually check your thoughts, mm -hmm. and the integrity of this is going to be 
you know, through your actions, words, and deeds in the world. That that's where the integrity will show. So, as we, many of us in this room have been here a while, and Ram probably is the embodiment of right effort. It just continually comes back to right effort, where a lot of these questions come up on a very, very personal level. It's a very gentle process, but this is this is you know where we're held to task if, if we can come to gently remind ourselves we may just need to put a little bit more into our mm -hmm. practice this is really really well done thank you Dave thank you and you think about in the many suttas you know the Buddha asks you know what would the wise would the wise later re reprove mm -hmm. and that's one technique you know, thinking that someone, if they heard what you said or what you, what your actions were, what would they think? But ultimately, it's our responsibility that is the ultimate, you know, it's restraint. Honesty with yourself. It's your yeah. honesty with yourself. This is the other leg that it stands on. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like no one else is gonna hold you accountable like yourself once you've, mm -hmm. you know, again look yourself in the mirror and were your words of today wise. Were they gentle? Were they not harmful? So, again, it's it's a responsibility. So yeah, it's sort of what we do in this practice to reinforce that other pillar. You know, it's it's the pillar of honesty, the pillar of accountability, and mm -hmm. in the middle is going to be our integrity. You know, exactly. Yeah. John. Yeah, what Kevin's what we're all touching on, what Kevin's bringing out, is this is the practical application of concentration. Again, it's nothing mystical or magical. On our cushions, we use concentration so we can recognize the story we're telling ourselves and stop. And off our cushions so that we can recognize at the point of contact what's coming out of our mouth. And I'm sure everyone here has said things that once they said it, they wish they didn't. That's a lack of concentration. And so, and I bet you everyone here who's been developing this even for a little while has recognized the ability to hold back their tongue at times. That's concentration. That's developing the practice in a very practical way. That's why we do it. You know, and it really is for that that reason, that wise restraint at that moment of contact. When I feel like like telling somebody off and I and I hold my tongue, I don't do it, that's Dhamma practice. And the, the point that I'm making is Dhamma practice is not just not even having the thought, an aggressive thought or a hurtful thought, but it's being able to couple that aggressive thought with the right wise restraint that's developed in jhana practice. That is that, that is this practice. And Nina touched on that earlier too when we all do It's just that fine and just that practical. Thank you. Michael. Oh. Are you doing back there? Didn't you realize no I wasn't I was just stretching here. I wasn't uh <laughs> <laughs> class Sorry about that. Oh am I up? Yeah you're up. Oh okay. Oh. Alright. My notes are all over the place. So I'm just going to it's a lot. I'm just going to tape this all together and see what happens here. Um, I'll, uh, I wrote this down. Close the door to the phenomenal world and empty the mind by recognition and non-engagement. And hold in mind the eightfold path. Once we close the door to the phenomenal world, and all of the different types of stimulus that's out there, 
that is constantly coming in contact at the sixth sense base. That's what we have to cease. Uh, we have to not, or I should say, I'll speak for myself. That's what I need to do. I need to shut off the phenomenal world and all that's going on in it so that I can make space for the Eightfold Path to come in. So I can have the Eightfold So there's space there for the Eightfold Path. And then from there, my concentration keeps me on that Eightfold Path. Each moment, as it, as, uh, as it, whatever it is that occurs, I'm acceptance of whatever it is occurred and non-reaction. So this, I believe, for me, anyhow, uh, helps me recognize uh, not only the concentration needed to hold the Eightfold Path in mind, but also enables me to recognize the not-self. Because the Eightfold Path is that which, if we, we practice it properly, I do believe, it leaves us in a place, it stills the mind, it's stillness. And that stillness is where we find peace and equanimity. Not being, having any attachment to what is occurring. So. And that's where your insight occurs. That's where the insight of impermanence and yep. Nietzsche and Anatta and understanding of Dukkha. So, yeah. thank you, Michael. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Um, thank you very much for the teaching. I wrote this. Uh, I'm going to read it because it's, it's too difficult for me to try to like <laughs> explain. <laughs> um, mindfulness has reflective quality to it. In mindful awareness, the mind is kept in dispassionate, detached observation of what is happening within ourselves and around us in the present moment. With dispassionate witnessing, the mind is trained to remain present in peaceful equanimity and alert contemplation of the moment as life unfolds. All judgments or fabrications, interpretations are suspended or as they occur allowed to arise and pass away. Life is just as it is occurring with no personal attachment. We stand firmly, mind and body, joined in dispassionate equanimity, not getting swept away by distracting thoughts or sensations. The practice of mindfulness is a matter of undoing the doing of our mind and all the distractions to create personal I. In mindfulness, the mind watches in dispassion and as occasions arise and pass away. There's no clinging, no grasping to our desires, only sustained contemplation, persistent sustained contemplation in a calm, peaceful state. In this place, there is serenity, discernment, insight, and wisdom. And so those are using factors. Thank you. Thank well you. said, Julia. Thank, thank, well thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. <laughs> Ram. <clears throat> that, those few lines in <clears throat> the section on right effort, where the Buddha says, um, if this was not attainable, mm. I wouldn't ask you to do this. Um, they're such beautiful words. Anyway, and this was said by somebody who spent six years 
literally beating his head against the wall in in systems that were not attainable, or at least he found out that they were and to hear, to hear those words that I wouldn't ask you um, to do this if, if it were not attainable. Um, it, it's just this wonderful um, <coughs> compassion that comes out of him as, as a teacher. Thank you. And I think John in the past has said it, it would be a cruel teaching if it wasn't attainable. Mm -hmm. and oh. So, again, thank you. And one more time, David, I haven't spoken enough tonight yet. Nope. <laughs> uh, in the Aditya Pariyaya Sutta, the Buddha it, it talks about the, the teachers that he studied with and they taught different things but all culminating in these magical dimensions, dimension of nothingness, dimension of neither perception or non-perception, and the Buddha declared those as painful because they weren't allowed, they, they weren't something that a human being could experience. And so he, he dismissed them and it was at that point of recognizing what it wasn't, that it wasn't something outside of a human experience that he was looking for, but it was what it meant to be a human being. And that's when he came up with an eightfold path to put us in our body. Uh, and and to, to provide the the limits for our own grasping after an aversion, it does it pretty well, I think. But thank you again. Great class, David. Well, thank you, John. Thank you so much for your contributions, of course. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tonight. Uh, we'll finish as always with the Karaniya Metasutta. So once again, find your comfortable position. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that would, the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen or the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise another being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish upon harm upon upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness all over the world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. 
If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.